Good morning, all you unfamiliar people. It's good to be back with you. Uh, having been gone at least 10 weeks, maybe 11, uh, we've missed uh, greatly being with you and have looked forward to coming back to be with you again for about 10 and a half weeks. So uh, we left 11 weeks ago, so that means it took us about three days to miss you. So <clears throat> anyways, it, it is so good to be back. We enjoyed ourselves greatly, um, but uh, we missed you greatly. So uh, good to be here. We're going to begin today a study in the Gospel of Mark. It is uh, in the New Testament, second book. And it's going to, I think, be a wonderful study, an appropriate, uh, well-timed study. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God does in your heart and in our congregation through this study. <clears throat> this is going to be a day of, or a sermon of introduction. In fact, getting into the book of Mark is going to take two sermons of introduction. Uh, and I know that some of you are anxious to dive into the text and if it makes you feel better you can open your Bible to the book of Mark even though we're not going to spend any time there today other than one verse I'll read one verse from the, the book of Mark but but we're going to spend most of the time elsewhere in the scriptures uh, helping you see uh, how the Lord prepared um, the people of Israel the people of of the church to receive the gospel of Mark as they did <clears throat> as we are and it's going to be a, a wonderful study, but it is going to take me a couple of weeks to get into it just because there's so much to cover uh, and pertinent things to discuss. I don't know how many of you remember the, the comedy in the 1970s uh, called Get Smart. Anybody remember that, that series? Uh, they don't make them like they used to, do they? Um, that, was a, that was a great uh, TV show. Uh, of course, they made the TV show into a movie here not too long ago, I think 2008, and it was pretty good, but nothing like the original, of course. But the TV, the TV show and the, and the, the movie uh, were about uh, two competing world powers. You have uh, chaos that are the bad guys, and you have control are the good guys, and control and, and their agents are constantly fighting against chaos and their agents to keep them from destroying the planet, right? And, that, and, that, and then all the, the situations that come up that require this, this bumbling uh, agent named Max Smart and his sidekick, Agent 99, to save the world. And it's actually pretty funny. It's a good comedy. Um, but in our world in 2021, uh, is anything but a comedy. Our chaos is real, isn't it? In all my days, I don't think I've ever experienced more unsettling, unbalancing chaos than I have in the past two years. I have, I have gone through all sorts of, of cycles of discouragement, hope, discouragement, hope, and discouragement for the past 18 months, maybe two years that I can remember. And it has been a daunting task to get through it. As I have talked with many of you and others in this community and elsewhere, uh, it seems like there's a palpable level of fear and anxiety over everything that we're facing. 
all the things including our perceived lack of leadership in our government circles to the local level, from chaos in international um, dealings uh, militarily and federal and state issues and disagreements over the best response to COVID-19, we're facing daunting chaos. And I think if there's one word that describes what we're experiencing, it is that word, chaos. Have you felt it? I know you have. I, I felt chaos this morning. I, <clears throat> I've been preparing this sermon here for a while now and uh, was anxious to preach it to you. And I got up this morning to, to review it on my iPad, which I do every Sunday morning. I get up real early and sit with my coffee and review my sermon, pray over it and so forth. I get up after looking at it this morning, making some changes, going through stuff, go to the bathroom, go get more coffee. I can't remember what I was doing. I come back and my tablet's blank. My sermon disappeared this morning about an hour before the first service. Like, how's that for chaos, Pastor John? What do you got now? Um, and so I was, I, I was late to the first service. I come in the front door, I wasn't thinking, I come in the front door and the service is just starting and I'm like, eh. but uh, anyways, <laughs> chaos. Even in the life of a pastor, can you believe it? <clears throat> I know that some of you are probably asking concerning the real chaos that we're in, where's God? What is God up to? Is he concerned? Is he involved? Does he know we're going through this? Where are you, God? Well, today I want to reassure you of God's interest, God's love, and his control over our current circumstances and give you some hope and direction for moving forward to navigate this in your own life. I want you to see that the best response to chaos, no matter how intense that chaos is, or no matter what source the chaos comes from, the response to it has always been the same. The, the right response has always been the same. All right? so. Let me take you through a, a history of chaos, if I can, and show you that chaos is nothing new, that it's been around for quite some time. In fact, <clears throat> any of you theologians want to tell me where chaos began? The Garden, right? The Garden of Eden. And of course, that happened when Adam and Eve decided to reject God's direction, to go their own way, do their own thing, eat of the tree of the, light, the knowledge of good and evil, and sin. And with sin, listen, comes chaos. With sin comes chaos. Wherever there's sin, there is chaos. There is never sin that chaos doesn't follow, ever. All right, this is important to see. This happened, began, the history of chaos began in the Garden of Eden. Now let's look at the history of the Old Testament chaos. It didn't just end with the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't that have been nice? If it just, oh, God, you know, kicked him out of the garden, that was it, and then we went back to normal. No. Chaos continued, and just didn't continue. It increased in intensity, and it seemed that it got more momentum, more intensity, until Genesis 6. 
The, the sin between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 is mind-boggling. The intensity of the, the chaos and what this planet was going through is disturbing. To the point where God said that's enough and he sends the worldwide flood, right? You remember that? Well, this, this progress of, of chaos continued even past the worldwide flood. You remember, Noah and his family were the only ones that survived the flood. And were they sinners? Yeah. <laughs> and with sin comes chaos. So just because there was a flood doesn't mean chaos ended. No, it, it followed Noah and his family through the flood and into the next epoch of human history. Chaos continued. There's, there's three types of chaos I want to show you in the Old Testament that seem to be chaos markers, if you will. The first is personal chaos. That is private, personal chaos, some of the things that we experience even now here in Yakima. Chaos with neighbors, chaos with finances, chaos with, you know, whatever it is we're facing. Personal chaos. And for the Jews, that really was... I guess, emphasized during the Egyptian slavery, right? They went from a free people to slaves, from calling their own shots to doing whatever they were told. Slavery, I would say, would be an offense against the person. It would produce personal chaos, which is what they experienced. And then there's political chaos. After the Egyptian slavery, what happened? You know, the people of Israel came out of Egypt spent 40 years in the wilderness and then went into the promised land and after a few hundred years were established as a nation. They actually had a king, started with King Saul, went to King David, then King Solomon, and then everything hit the fan after King Solomon. Remember? His son wanted to rule one way and then 10 northern tribes says, that's not how David, your grandfather, ruled. Forget it, we're out of here. So the nation split at Solomon's kids, all right? Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And so there was massive political chaos that took place right after Solomon. Personal chaos, political chaos, it was a mess in Israel. The, the nation divided, and so much so that there was civil war regularly between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, killing each other, killing brothers like we experienced back in 1860 here in America. And then on top of personal chaos, political chaos, we see all over scripture, starting with Adam and Eve, up through the end of the Old Testament, religious and social chaos. Religious and social chaos. I want to, I want to look at this religious and social chaos, particularly from the viewpoint of minor prophets. Minor prophets in the Old Testament aren't just uh, less important prophets. Minor prophets are called minor prophets because they're smaller in volume than the major prophets. And I'm just going to take a look at a few of the minor prophets to give you an example, an illustration, to show you a pattern that was taking place in Old Testament history, a pattern of chaos. All right? First, Hosea. Hosea lived in the northern kingdom about 200 years after this political split, this political schism between north and south kingdom. Um, and he reigned, or he ministered, prophesied 
during the reign of one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II. This king, Jeroboam II, led people into sinful chaos from which it never recovered. It was so extreme, it's hard to read through uh, his history in the Old Testament. But in 722, the Assyrian army came into northern Israel, the northern kingdom, and invaded, killed, and destroyed, just as Hosea had predicted. Hosea preached against Israel's decision to form alliances with pagan nations around them instead of trusting in God. Okay, so what happened was they were getting pressure from Assyria, the northern kingdom was, And instead of running to God as he had told them to, asked them to, commanded them to, they ran instead to other nations, pagan nations, and asked for military help to protect them against an enemy. And God said through Hosea, what are you doing? Since when hasn't God been powerful enough to protect us? Why go align yourselves with pagan sinful groups of people? Come to me, I'll protect you. And they said, no, thank you. So Hosea pleaded with Israel to repent of this sin and to leave their trust in false hope and pagan alliances and put their hope and trust in God. During chaos, though, what the northern Israel nation did is easy to understand. We do the same thing. It's when, when we're living in fear, what do we do? We, we grasp at the first thing that might offer hope. It, oh, that might work. I'll run to get that. Oh, that might work. That's exactly what was going on in the northern kingdom. God, God isn't, you know, we, we can't see or feel God, right? I, I can see the Edomite army. They look pretty strong. They got some cool chariots. I'm going to pay them to come up and help us fight the, the Assyrians, you're going to expect me to trust God? No, thank you. That's the conversation Hosea was having with the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel, Jeroboam II particularly. What I want you to see here as we trace some minor prophets for the next few minutes is to see the pattern of chaos in human history brought on by sin. I want you to see it's a pattern. I want you to see that what we're experiencing is nothing new. Then I'll show you God's path out of it. But let's, let's look at a couple more minor prophets first. Next, Amos. He, like Hosea, lived in the northern kingdom uh, around the same time as Hosea, but during the time of King Jeroboam II specifically. And instead of seeing the sinful political alliances that Hosea preached against, Amos was concerned with the hard hearts and the insincere worship of the people of Israel. That was his concern. That's what God told him to go address. God told Hosea to talk about these unholy alliances. God told Amos to go talk about the hard-heartedness of the Israelites. All right? He reminded the people of Israel that they were God's people, and so they should act like God's people. They should worship God sincerely. Their, their, Their approach to God should be genuine. But their worship was anything but authentic. And this is what uh, Amos was addressing. Their hypocrisy was so nauseating, it made God say, get away from me with all your worship. Can you imagine that? God said, stay away from me with your nauseating worship. 
They would faithfully attend their religious ceremonies, their religious gatherings. They would give of their tithes and offerings, something most pastors would be great, really happy with, right? If you show up and give money, yay, right? Now, God and Amos could see right through that. A lesson that we could spend a little time on, but I'm not going, I'm just going to mention it. Just by showing up and putting money in the plate doesn't mean anything about your heart. This is what Amos was addressing. He's saying, where is your heart? you got to turn from this fake religion, from these false belief, these false uh, signs that you're bringing before God. And instead of neglecting the poor and ignoring injustice, come with a pure heart, a, a desire to please God with your actions. Amos condemned their worships and said they really didn't have any real relationship with God because a genuine relationship with God transforms how people think, act, and worship. Because of their sinful ways, Amos prophesied that a foreign nation would come and destroy Israel and take them into captivity. And in 2 Kings 17, that's what we read happened. Assyria came down and literally destroyed everything in the northern kingdom and took them all into captivity and they have not recovered even to today. Let's look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived, he lived and prophesied in the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom. So Amos and Hosea were in the north talking uh, from God to all the sinful issues up there. Habakkuk was in the south talking to them about their, their issues there. In Habakkuk's day, there was massive chaos brought on by <laughs> pervasive sin. It went from top to bottom, this sin did. Habakkuk is a unique prophet in that his writings were addressed directly to God instead of to the people. Very interesting. If you read Habakkuk, you'll notice he's not preaching to people. He's having a conversation with God. He's asking God, how can you be good if all this chaos is here in Israel and in my life? How can you be good? It's like a prayer journal. He's writing a prayer journal, and it got included in the canon. But his concerns were the goodness of God amidst all the chaos. How can God be good? That's a question we might be asking, right? God, are you good? Do you care about what we're all going through? Can you see it? Hello? Anybody there? Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, all describe the same kind of chaos and sin that follows. And from the Old Testament history up to today, I could walk you through exhibit after exhibit in world history that demonstrates that the world has never been without chaos. Chaos comes with sin. What we're experiencing, as horrible as, as it is, shouldn't surprise us. Sin equals chaos. Okay, so forget world history. Let's just look at American history. Has American history been chaotic? Well, how did we begin? I mean, not the Mayflower. I'm talking about the Declaration of Independence. How did we begin? With a war that was so chaotic, it was craziness. The Revolutionary War was not a neat and tidy little war that we may have learned about in 
elementary school. The Revolutionary War was chaos at every level. Personal, social, political, international. So let's look at this. American history, wars, and I'm not going to list them all, I'm just going to list a few to, to, you know, charge you up a little bit here. The Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, Middle Eastern Wars that we've been involved in, et cetera, et cetera, I've named half of them, in 250 years. Not 2,000 years, in 200 years we've done this. Our history is a lesson in chaos as a country. And where does chaos come from? Sin. Okay, let's keep this moving towards current events. Current events being the breakdown in government that we see right here in front of us every day, not just federal, but state and local breakdown. Community unrest, friends fighting it with each other literally against what is the best way to respond to COVID, whether to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. Our society here in Yakima is in chaos. I've been gone for 11 weeks and I've heard there's been chaos in our church over this same stuff. Well, let me ask you to turn with me briefly to Romans chapter 1. And so that you don't get frightened, we're not going to start a sermon series in Romans. But I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And I want to show you that this is nothing new. And that what we're experiencing is actually from the hand of God. All right? Paul describes this cycle of sin, chaos, and judgment in three stages in Romans 1, each with increasing intensity. First stage, Romans 1.24. Are you there? Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. This is a description of outright rebellion against God and his ways and his design for sexual relationship within marriage. The world has said no thank you to that. Mankind has rejected that standard and proceeded into sin, which has resulted in a sexual revolution and chaos in sexual relationships. Second stage, look at verses 26 and 27. The second stage of divine judgment on people who ignore God and instead embrace the worldly system which produces chaos is seen in these two verses. For this reason, it says in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So. The first stage or first level of God's judgment on sin is sexual revolution. The second stage, according to verses 26 and 27, is homosexual revolution. Right? These two stages of judgment have happened in my lifetime. All right? They've been going on for centuries and centuries, but 
I've seen these two things in my lifetime. In the 60s and 70s, you know, the summer of love was all about sexual revolution, right? In the mid-80s, the homosexual revolution, revolution took off and now is powerfully continuing its course up to today. Second level of God's judgment. Third level of God's judgment. See if this rings a bell. Look at the next verse down here in verse 28. This is the third stage, God's judgment. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You can guess where I'm going with this, can't you? <laughs> this third stage of divine judgment on those who ignore God and his ways and embrace the worldly system is this, a debased mind. You know what a debased mind is? Insanity. That's what that word means, debased. It's an insane mind. It's, we've embraced insanity. It's people that can't think straight. It's, it's a mind that's gone insane, literally. This isn't hyperbole. The third stage of God's judgment on societies like ours is a prevailing insanity. From top to bottom. This includes people claiming to be one sex while they were born another. Not only claiming, but going beyond that and changing the appearance of their gender. Add to this the chaos that surrounds the international concerns that are in front of us 24-7, insanity. Add to that the COVID-19 pandemic and all the disagreeing opinions about it, insanity. How many times in the past 18 months have you looked at your spouse and said, I must be going insane? 18 times at least. Well, the smoke that's filled our valley is a poignant metaphor for the chaos that this world is experiencing. Oppressiveness, joy robbing, choking. It starts at the top of our government and works its way in and through every single level into our community, into our friendships, into our churches. It seems like very little sanity remains. It seems like the world has gone mad. Well, the fact is, it has. <laughs> this is the third level, the third stage of God's judgment on people who reject him. Sexual revolution, homosexual revolution, insanity. That's the stage that we're at. This is God's judgment on sinful and rebellious men and women. And you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Let me say this carefully. There's no hope of going back to where we were. That's not going to happen. All right? But there is hope. And it's way better than going back to where we were. So, let's leave chaos behind. And I want you to look at its counterpart, control. Right? to go with the, the illustration of chaos and control. Let's look at control. Let's look at, at how God's divine uh, oversight is in and controlling every element of chaos this world has ever known. God's controlling design 
has been in and overseeing every single act of chaos that this world has ever known. Let me show you from Scripture. First of all, you need to know that God's not a God of chaos, right? He says this plainly in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of confusion, <laughs> but of peace. Some, verse, some translations say he's not a God of disorder, but order. You get the idea. God is not interested in chaos. Chaos is a result of sin. God's not interested in sin. He's not interested in the results of sin. But can he use it? Did he use the sin of the Jews and Romans to murder Jesus? Boy, howdy. So let's, 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 let's get after this. God is a God of peace, certainty, control, harmony. And none of this chaos escapes his notice. Nothing in our world or in the history of mankind takes place without God's consent and oversight. Nothing. The COVID-19 virus, social chaos, political chaos, international chaos has not caught God off guard. You know this up here, but I want you to feel it before we leave today. God is fully aware of these things and he allows them to accomplish his purposes for us, even though they may not make much sense to us on the surface. God has a path through chaos and into control, into harmony, into peace. And I want you to follow me on that path so by the time we leave here today, you're at peace. Okay? My fear, as I was preparing the sermon today, uh, as your pastor, is not what COVID-19 is doing to our culture and to our friends who have suffered and died by this plague. My fear isn't about the loss of our freedoms that seem to be being lost as we speak. Uh, my fear isn't about the social disorder that has choked our society. No, my fear is for us in this room. My fear is that we here at Sun Valley Church will lose sight of the only true source of hope and peace. That, that my fear is that instead of looking to Christ, instead of fully embracing the gospel and, and God's oversight of our own lives and, its, and the gospel's implications for us for daily living, we're going to embrace some false hope like the Israelites did. We're going to start making allegiances with things or people that will be dishonoring to God. Let's retrace the path of chaos just so that we can see God's hand in it, starting with the Garden of Eden. Did the sin of Adam and Eve surprise God? What do you know about God's thoughts before time began? Seems pretty clear in the Bible, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, at the peak of the chaos in the Garden of Eden, right when God was, was pronouncing judgment on Adam and Eve and the serpent, God announces the following to the serpent. See if this isn't amazingly hopeful, especially in the midst of chaos that we see today. He says God was saying this to the serpent, standing in the place of Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. 
Remember, all three of them were standing here. Whether or not the, the snake had lost its legs by then or not, we don't know. So I'm going to say standing. Snake, Adam, and Eve. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, that is the offspring of you, Eve, are going to bruise the head of this serpent and you will bruise his heel. Now that sounds veiled, and it is, until you start reading the Bible, and then it becomes clear throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament that this is the first promise of the gospel, the first promise of a coming Savior who will take care of sin and chaos. Right here, immediately when chaos was introduced into mankind. God's sovereign hand in chaos. Now, let's go to Old Testament history. And in case you don't know how the story ends, God wins. All right? So you can be at peace here for the next few minutes. Old Testament history. Let's look at that, that personal chaos, that Egyptian slavery. Before Egyptian slavery ever started, the slavery of the Jewish people in Egypt, God promised Abraham that after 400 years of slavery, he said this to him before it happened, uh, Israel would emerge from Egypt, return to the promised land, and enjoy God's bounty, peace, and hope, control. Before they went to, to Egypt's, Egyptian slavery, God promised their forefather, forefather Abraham that he would return peace, control, prosperity, harmony to his people. So he knew that in spite of that personal chaos they would experience, on the other end of that tunnel was glorious light. Now, he also told Abraham in the same paragraph that through Abraham, his people would become a blessing to the nations. The people of Israel, the offspring of Abraham, would become a blessing to all nations. And how did that happen? Who came from the people of Israel? That turns out to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus, right? So before the Egyptian slavery, God promises Abraham that a Savior will come, that will have untold influence on the chaos of this planet. Political control, when the northern and southern kingdoms split, remember that? God promised King David, who ruled in Israel before the split, he promised David that through the line of David would come another king who would reign forever and who would rule in righteousness and peace. Before the political chaos happened, he told David this. And so as the people of Israel were moving through this political crisis, the, the chaos that was all over that, they knew the promise that was given to David. One day we'll be together with one king who will bless us beyond our imagination. Who's that king? Who's going to reign forever and bring peace and righteousness? Jesus. The same one promised to Abraham. The same one promised to Adam and Eve. God's sovereign control through chaos. Their response is expected to be the same. Trust in that Savior. 
believe God's promises. So this son of David that was promised would, would reign forever. And when Jesus shows up on the planet, guess what everybody's calling him? Not just because of his heritage. He's from the tribe of what? Judah? All right. So he's, he's from the line of David. He's a son of David. And so everybody who encounters Jesus calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. Why? Because they knew he was the promised one. He was the one who was going to address their personal chaos. Thirdly, the prophets of control. We had them addressing the chaos in Old Testament history. But I want to show you that God's sovereign control even was in view when they were speaking judgment. Hosea chapter 14, verse 4. God said to the people of Israel, I will heal their apostasy. What creates chaos? Sin, apostasy, sin. I will heal that, God said. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. Hosea goes on to describe the blessing of God will be to his people and through his people to the whole world. God promised to heal and restore a people who were broken by sin and chaos through the promised Savior. Same answer. Amos. We're going to call Hosea and Amos agents of control. All right? Max Amos. Of course, Amos wasn't bumbling, but just so you get the drift. And just so you know that chaos and, and control aren't equally powerful enemies, like yin and yang, that's not the case. Chaos is allowed to, uh, is allowed to operate by God in order to accomplish his purposes in human history, to accomplish his purposes in your life. God allows this chaos to be here. The chaos of sin in the garden offered an opportunity to announce the coming Messiah. So I want you to make sure that you don't see that there's some weird, equal, competitive nature between chaos and control. There's not. Chaos really is a tool God uses to accomplish his purposes. All right? But this is how Amos addressed that particular issue. And I want you to listen closely to this. And, and if I'm getting into the weeds, bear with me. All right? Amos 3.6, he says this in chapter 3, verse 6, at the beginning of his prophecy against the sin and chaos. All right, this is part of the, the condemning prophecy, not, not the wonderful solution. This is back earlier when he's saying you guys are bad. He says this, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? When did they blow trumpets in the city back in those days? When enemies were attacking, that's when they blew trumpets. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Do, listen, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? <laughs> that's mind-blowing. What do you mean? God's behind chaos. And you thought COVID started in Wuhan. No. God is behind it. Nothing escapes God's sovereign design. Nothing, not even COVID. 
And if you're thinking, ah, oh, eh, keep listening. I think, you, I think it's important to know that chaos, whether in Old Testament history or in our, in our time, has no chance at final victory. Again, it's a tool God uses to accomplish his purposes. Chaos isn't going to all of a sudden somehow defeat God. It's not going to happen. Rest assured. Chaos is allowed to operate to accomplish his purposes in his kingdom and in your life. Listen to, to A.W. Tozer. Whenever anybody quotes A.W. Tozer, listen. Okay, listen to this. When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Have you experienced anxiety over all this chaos? If God's behind it, you can rest, Christian friend. It's okay. Just rest. In the final paragraph of the book of Amos, he offers hope. He, he uses this image of a destroyed building and he says that out of the ruins of that destroyed building, he will one day restore the house of David, a reference to the coming Messiah, the son of David. In all the chaos, all this ruin in Israel, all this chaos and ruin in our world today, this Savior is brought forth into our view so that we can see God's design. You don't need to fear the chaos that is currently racking this world. See the answer that God is putting right in front of our, our eyes here in the scriptures today. This prophecy of Hosea is a, is a prophecy of the coming Christ, the Messiah, from David's family line. This Savior has been promised to reverse all destruction, all chaos caused by sin. Even though God is just, he is merciful. All the Old Testament prophets end their books with this same identical hope. The response to chaos has always, the, the godly response to chaos has always been the same. Trust in the promises of God. Trust in God our Savior. We, we heard that from Psalm 46 earlier, didn't we? Be still and know that I am God in the midst of chaos. Habakkuk ends his writing with this same great hope. God is going to save and restore. Listen to it. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should... Listen to this description of chaos. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, nor produce on the, of the olive fail, and fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's chaos for a farmer. Right? Well, that's what Habakkuk was. Listen to his response. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. God's got this. Let me close with some applications for you. <clears throat> First of all, what does this have to do with the Gospel of Mark? Right? It's a fair question since this is the first sermon in our new sermon series on Mark's gospel. The answer is that all the promises of control, hope, peace, and blessing in the Old Testament leading up to the arrival of Christ point to him. Any control or peace that we long for will only be found in that same person, Jesus Christ. 
Mark records the ministry of Jesus Christ starting with his baptism in chapter 1. He bypasses the birth narrative and goes straight to the baptism narrative. John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, that's the first thing we read when you get to Mark. Mark's message is that during chaos, there is only one place to put our hope. During chaos, there's only one place to, put our, to hope for peace. When everything around us is falling apart and looking grim, Jesus is the answer. You know how the world was when Jesus showed up? Just such a wonderful place, the good old days, right? No. It was massive chaos. Rome was colonizing the planet by force. You didn't want that? You were killed in front of your children. There was unbelievable political chaos. This is a walk in the park compared to when Jesus showed up. And it didn't stop with political chaos. Their social and religious structures were shot out of the water. No one trusted anybody, not even the religious leaders. It was corruption everywhere they looked. Despair was filling the hearts of all Jewish people. In fact, the world's people. Their only hope, the Jewish people's hope, was that the promises of the Messiah were true. Then Jesus, Jesus showed up. <laughs> right when the world was at the peak of chaos. And when he showed up, he didn't suggest political reform. He, he didn't say that everyone should apply new investment strategies to pad their wealth, to make sure they could make it through this time of chaos. He, he didn't introduce new social programs. He didn't recommend different educational choices for families. He, he didn't preach about those kind of things because those things don't contain the answer. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark is in verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15 says this. Jesus speaking, the time was fulfilled... It's as chaotic as it's going to get, in other words. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. What are you going to do about it? Listen, this is what we're going to do about it here in Yakima in 2021. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So my, my challenge to you this morning, people, is to check your heart. What have you been hoping in? What has your trust been in? The vaccine? Not the vaccine. The mask? No masks. Where's your hope been? I know, a Republican Congress. That will solve all of our problems. A new governor. Let's start a, what do they call that thing they're doing in California? Recall, well, I've got paper out in the lobby. Let's get it going. Is that the answer? No. Where are you placing your trust? I mean, I know you because you're like me. You're battling fear, bitterness, and anger. You're concerned about the livelihood of your family, financial concerns that go with that, health crisis of this COVID thing. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We listen to Jesus. Repent, 
from all those things that you're trusting in that don't bring answers and believe the gospel. You heard read earlier Psalm 20. It's on the overhead again. It's in your bulletin, I think. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Horses and chariots is a reference to worldly physical attempts to solve our problems. Some do trust in that. How's that been going for us? But we, who know God, trust Him. The horses and chariots of this world don't produce the control and peace, harmony, and tranquility that we're after. They play into the strategies of chaos. The horses and chariots that we're tempted to trust in are things like I've mentioned. A changed Congress, a different governor, larger savings accounts, better income, better schooling for our kids, vaccinating, not vaccinating. Those are the horses and chariots. That's not where our trust should be. I'm not saying we should be stupid and not be thinking about being prepared. I'm saying, is that your source of ultimate hope and trust? That? No. No. Check your heart. Secondly, repent of any bad allegiances. Have you been putting your trust in the pagan nations to help you fight against the Assyrians? Have you been putting your trust and hope in horses and chariots? Repent of that. If Hosea was here, he would yell it. Repent of that false hope. In Psalm 20, tells us in verse 7 that we should put our trust in God. But it also says this in verses 1 and 2, if you remember. Let me read those for you. Psalm 20, verses 1 and 2. Listen and, and learn. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Who? The governor? The president? The vaccine? Your bank account? No. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help, where? From the sanctuary and from Zion. See, David reminds us that God is our only source of hope, and in him should be our ultimate and final trust. Turning your back on worldly solutions and embracing Jesus Christ as your only hope and peace is what Jesus meant when he said, repent and believe the gospel. That's what he meant. What are you placing your false hope in? Jesus said, come to me. I'll take care of you. Repent from trusting worldly things like Israel trusted in the chariots of foreign nations. And if you're feeling particularly fearful or chaotic, the best thing you can do is run to Jesus. Not run to all these other solutions that are being offered. Throw all your fears and anxieties on him because, Peter tells us, he cares for us. He cares for me. He cares for you. And then, looking at verse 2 again in Psalm 20, he's gonna, God's going to send help from the sanctuary. What does that mean? 
Well, in the Old Testament day, the sanctuary is where they worshiped corporately as, a, as communities. In our day, where does that happen? Here. God will meet you here like in no other place. Even if you're walking with God and having faithful, quiet times and reading of Scripture and, and per, private worship, God will meet you here like no other place. It's in the sanctuary where God meets his people corporately. It's in the sanctuary where you're reminded of his goodness, of his strength. It's in the sanctuary where you're challenged to put away false hope. So if you're not here, you start believing that nonsense. Be here. Be here as we open the Gospel of Mark and see the glorious plan of God laid out for us in black and white. Maybe in living color. Might be a better way to say that. The Holy Spirit will meet you here through his word to settle your heart, to settle your mind on Jesus Christ and his gospel. So be here, especially when you're worked up, anxious, or feeling chaotic. Thirdly, here's the third application point, and I'll leave it at this. See this current chaos as an opportunity to share Christ. See the current chaos that we are all in as an opportunity to share Christ. Let me tell you something. People are listening like never before. They're listening to any option you may offer. Why not offer them Christ instead of the latest stupid video from YouTube? How about offering something that really works? Christ Jesus. This is an opportunity... Sun Valley Church, not a threat. This is an opportunity to make Christ known to our neighbors. The thing that we've said we'd wanted to do our entire Christian lives. I want people to know Jesus. Really? Now's your chance. And by the way, they're all listening, like I just said. No one's turning a deaf ear to these things these days. Take advantage of it. For the good of your friends and for the glory of the kingdom and the God of the kingdom. <clears throat> Sorry I got worked up there, but um, I've been away for so long. You thought I was going to preach three hours, right? So this is a, this is a surprise. Only went an hour. Okay. Um, we're going to uh, now join each other in this great occasion of the Lord's Supper, something that I've missed two months' worth of because I've been unavailable, and I've genuinely missed it. I love gathering around the elements of the Lord's Supper with you, God's people. You, those I love. I want to be here again with you right now, serving you these elements. And it's, and it's not just because this is what we do. It's because of what these things bring to us. These things to us are promises from God that he meets his people and meets their need. That he comes to us here in the supper and builds us up in our faith um, and his spirit restores our joy and confidence in him. That's what this is. And so, I want you to, in your bulletin or on the overhead, there's, there's going to be a reading here uh, that I'd like us to read together. And it's a little different than what we normally have. 
Uh, we normally read it all together. The Nicene Creed's a little long, so I'm gonna read it, and in appropriate moments that are designated by the, the, the script, it's gonna say amen, and I want you all to join me with a hearty amen, and if you are really convinced of the truths of that section, you can say amen and amen. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay, so stand up with me if you would. for this reading in agreement with the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, <clears throat> excuse me, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Amen. And amen. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. Amen and amen. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. Amen and amen. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, I don't know, I never know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart when I preach. That's between you and Him. But I want to believe and I've prayed that God would be speaking to you through His Word, through my words as I speak His Word. Um, and to the, to the end that that you'll see clearly what's going on in your life. You'll understand if there has been indeed uh, a bad allegiance, bad alliance with false hope. I've prayed that, that you would see if you are trusting in horses or chariots or not. He may be calling you to turn from those powerless things and come to Jesus with all your worries and fears right now. And I want to encourage you to do that. Respond to the Holy Spirit. Obey him, unlike the Israelites. Maybe he's calling you to be more vocal about your source of hope, which is Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to respond. I'm going to pray now for the elements and then as I'm praying, elders, if you'll come forward and help me serve God's people, that would be wonderful. But pray with me now, and then uh, I'll read for you the words of institution from 1 Corinthians. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so easily duped into believing that, that we can provide 
our own source of hope, that the world can, can produce this um, peace, harmony, and contentment. Help us not believe the lies of the enemy, the lies of Satan, really. I pray that we would place all of our hope in you and not in horses and chariots. I pray that, pray that we would be still and know that you are God. Father, don't allow your people here at Sun Valley to be fooled. Don't allow us to continue to walk in our self-assurance. God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grant repentance to those of us who have over the past few months put our hope in hopeless things and things that aren't intended by you to bring hope. Draw us to yourself, God. Draw us to Christ, Holy Spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now be ministered to by God through the Holy Spirit and his elders here at Sun Valley. After you listen to this, Paul said to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord that I also, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Stop. You're proclaiming you're putting your trust in Christ until he comes. So come with that attitude. Come and submit yourself to Christ. Come and believe the promises. Come. Come.